You're listening to the Ready for Departure podcast, written and presented by Private Pilot Steve Middleton. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Ready for Departure podcast. Well, the bubble has truly burst, and the exceptionally good weather we've been experiencing here in the UK is coming to an end in spectacular style. As thunderstorms pass over my local airfield, I sit here hoping it's just temperate and flyable weather will return soon. So, on to this week's episode, Where Can You Fly? Which is one of the most common questions I get asked when people find out I'm a pilot. Most of the time I'll respond with, wherever I want, which, while strictly speaking is not entirely true, is close enough and it usually prompts more questions, which I'm always happy to answer. So, where can we fly on the MPPL? Technically, a national licence, which is what the MPPL is, was designed for flying within one particular country only, in my case the UK. So the short answer is, I can fly anywhere in the UK. The anywhere might need some further definition though, I'll get onto that in a minute. The UK's NPPL licence is also recognised by a number of other European countries such as France and Ireland. For me, flights overseas are something for the future, since I want to slowly build up my experience of flying to new airfields and crossing airspace I've not been through before. I'm also a member of the Lancashire Aero Club, which grants me a number of free landings at selected airfields across the UK, so it's my plan to visit them all over the next couple of years. Some of these airfields are hundreds of miles from my home base in Lancashire, so will require transits through controlled airspace and perhaps multiple leg journeys, since I'm not sure I can fly for more than two or three hours straight without stopping for a wee and a cup of tea. I often get asked if I have to get permission to fly somewhere, or if I can just go there. It's another question that's not straightforward to answer, since it very much depends on where you're going. I usually start by explaining that, apart from the radio calls to the tower at the airfield I'm based, for a local flight, which is a flight that starts and ends at my home base, I don't need to ask for permission as long as I stay outside of controlled airspace. If I want to fly into or through controlled airspace, then of course I do need permission, but that is easily negotiated on the radio during the flight, sometimes just a few minutes away from the airspace I want to enter. Flights to other airports and airfields often involve a procedure called PPR, which a bit confusingly stands for prior permission required, Ultimately, this just means telephoning or emailing the airfield before departure to give your destination, your expected time of arrival, and some flight details such as the call sign of the aircraft, the number of people on board, and point of departure. Some airfields will also give you a mini briefing over the phone to explain about local noise abatement procedures, give you a weather report, and some info about the runway to be used and how to approach. A lot of airfields operate a booking out procedure, especially those with full air traffic control, This is straightforward and it's similar to PPR. You call the tower or control room with the details of your flight and expected departure time. This means that when you radio the tower for departure, they already have all your details and can expedite you to the runway for takeoff. It all makes for a more efficient way to operate busy airfields and airports. We pilots sometimes have to file flight plans. I haven't had to file a flight plan yet since they're only required if travelling outside the UK, including the Channel Islands, Northern Ireland and the Isle of Man. But a flight plan is recommended by the CAA if flying over the sea more than 10 miles from the UK coast, or flying over sparsely populated areas such as the Scottish Highlands or perhaps Snowdonia. That last area is definitely on my bucket list since Snowdonia sits between Carnarvon Airport and my home base in Lancashire, and my in-laws live in the Scottish Highlands, so I'd very much like to take my father-in-law flying over the Cairngorm National Park, especially since he is on the Parks Authority Board. Additionally, the UK's Terrorism Act 2000 requires a General Aviation Report, or GAR for short, to be submitted to the authorities for immigration, customs and policing purposes before departing from the UK or arriving inbound from another country. Again, I haven't had to submit a GAR form yet, however France and Ireland are both on my bucket list for the future, so at some point I will have to submit one. 
The GAR form is provided by the UK government on their website, but there are various online methods of submitting GARs, including via the SkyDemon planning software, which I have a subscription to. I'm looking forward to trying that out. Some areas of the UK have airspace zones which you can only fly into or through if the aircraft is equipped with a radio and a transponder. This is primarily a safety feature for busy areas, especially military zones where general aviation pilots such as myself mix with commercial and military jets. In order to keep good separation, the radar services need to be able to see all the nearby aircraft on their screens and contact them quickly if needs be. A transponder transmits a code to the controller screen and is more reliable than, say, primary radar, which may confuse a flexwing microlight with a large flock of birds. I've also heard that a big articulated truck on Thelwall Viaduct can look like a small aircraft on radar. Transponders and aircraft radios are very expensive and so it's understandable that some aircraft owners, including microlights, do not fit them, as the cost of those two items alone could be more than the aircraft is worth. As such, those non-radio and non-transponder equipped aircraft cannot fly into some airspace. All of the airspace is detailed on maps that the CAA publish regularly, which is why it's required to always carry a map for the area that you're flying in. I just wish the maps came with instructions on how to fold them because I'm hopeless at it. Assuming you've kept the map updated with all the airspace changes, it's possible to fly pretty much anywhere without entering controlled airspace or radio and transponder mandatory zones. The route might not be very direct if you have to avoid airspace, but it is doable. Skydemon or similar route planning software when coupled with GPS make it really easy to dodge controlled airspace. I prefer to fly aircraft that have both a radio and a transponder. Therefore, that means I'm not restricted in the same way and can enter those zones, assuming of course that the controller agrees. Some areas are notorious for making smaller aircraft wait before entering controlled airspace while they get their scheduled commercial traffic through. I've heard a few stories of GA aircraft having to perform orbits for quite some time while BA and KLM jetliners with hundreds of people on board were cleared through first. As such, at times it might be quicker to avoid controlled airspace and route around it rather than circle on the edge for half an hour or more. Good and confident radio procedures are essential if you want to successfully negotiate a crossing through controlled airspace, something I experienced recently when I asked Harden for permission to cross their zone and fly directly overhead their airfield. did get the permission so it was a success, but I admit, I found the workload quite high. Flying in an area that I'd not flown in before, talking to another radar unit for the first time and trying to visualise the waypoints I was asked to report at, as well as looking for other traffic. As a result of that high workload, I misread my compass by 10 degrees and flew slightly off course. Remember that answer I gave to the question, where can you fly? It's not that easy to fly wherever you want sometimes. We are now right in the middle of the UK's airshow season, so lots of rats are popping up everywhere. No, not the four-legged variety. A rat in aviation is temporary restricted airspace, and you definitely cannot fly into a rat. Last year a GA pilot forgot to check airspace restrictions via the NOTAM service and flew right into the middle of an RAF red arrows display at an airshow. The display had to be determinated for safety reasons, disappointing thousands of people. The pilot received a hefty fine and had his license suspended by the CAA. Two other things stopped me flying wherever I want as well. The weather is probably the main one. Weather disrupted a fair few of my first training flights and I can tell you it doesn't get any different once you've qualified and are flying on your own. I mentioned earlier that I was looking forward to taking my sister for her first flight in a light aircraft and so far I've cancelled it three times due to the weather. I admit to being a fair weather pilot and whilst others might be comfortable going up in marginal conditions, I prefer to wait for smoother conditions and clearer skies. I'm fairly pragmatic because leaving in the UK means it's rainy, cloudy, windy and generally miserable for a large proportion of the year, especially in Manchester. 
I also don't have an instrument rating, so that means I'm restricted to flying in VFR conditions, which essentially means clear of the cloud, in sight of the ground, and decent horizontal visibility. And the other thing that stops me flying whenever I want is all things medical. If I'm not fit to fly, and that might even involve me suffering from a heavy cold, then I can't fly, even if the weather is beautiful and all the controlled airspace is quiet. I also operate on a pilot's medical self-declaration rather than a more invasive class 1 or class 2 medical, which require physical examinations by a doctor before they're issued. When I eventually come to fly to France or Ireland, I'm going to need to get myself a class 2 medical as a minimum, so I'm really looking forward to paying more than £100 to be poked and prodded by a doctor just to get a bit of paper. For now, I think I'll just fly around on my self-declaration and put that £100 plus towards more flying. I almost forgot aircraft availability, although I suppose that is more to do with the question, when can you fly? I don't own an aircraft, nor do I own a sharing one, and I'm not part of a flying group, so I have to rent an aircraft from the flying school where I was taught. They allow me to rent the aircraft by the hour, and I'm subject to availability of their fleet. I'm vying for slots with other qualified private pilots who want to do the exact same thing as me, as well as all the students still undergoing their training. And should an aircraft go tech, be taken out of service for maintenance, be delayed due to a poor weather divert, or just generally be unavailable, I can't go anywhere. Taking an aircraft away on a long trip to Scotland, or even overseas, while not impossible in a school aircraft, is tricky because it means the school will be without that aircraft for some considerable amount of time. This may affect the school's ability to train all their students, and I would certainly understand if the CFI who owns the school and aircraft said no. Ultimately, all this means the answer to the question, where can I fly, is wherever I want, subject to a whole load of restrictions, limitations and luck. I'm confident I will eventually get to visit a fair proportion of those airfields on my to-do list, and other than everything I've just mentioned, there's nothing stopping me from going further afield. I hope you'll continue to listen to this podcast as I document my future flights to new locations. And that's it for this episode of the Ready for Departure podcast. I hope you enjoyed this one. If you did, then please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Just search for Ready for Departure. I'd be interested in hearing from new and old pilots alike. Where do you fly? Please come onto the podcast and let's talk about one of your recent trips. If you'd like to give us a star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that would be fab. The podcast is also available via Stitcher, Radio Republic and many other podcast providers. If you're an Apple hater, you can download the episodes in MP3 format at www.readyfordeparture.uk. Our Facebook page is at facebook.com forward slash readyfordepartureuk. Please give our page a like. Finally, videos of the flights that are an inspiration for this podcast can be viewed on my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Steve Middleton. There's a shortcut to the YouTube videos that might be easier, which is r4d.uk forward slash videos. Put that into your browser. Please do watch, comment and subscribe if you can. Your feedback is very much appreciated. Thanks for listening to the Ready for Departure podcast. Music was by Josh Woodward and Chris Zabriskie. You can find out more and get in touch at readyfordeparture.uk.